Transcending the Veil. Today, we want to talk about Tantra. Okay. Um, and for me, when, when I think about Tantra, I immediately need to think about sex or let's say sexual energies, right? Yeah. But as I now understand, it is much more. So that, that would be nice to clarify what, what it actually is. And you already described to me previously what, what, it, what it all um, entails. But what, it, what you also told me is where it came from. And that I found very interesting because there's a bit of a story how it was practiced yeah. uh, a bit more in the underground because of all of the touchy subjects. So I found that very interesting. Do you, do you want to explain that a bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I hope I can make it easy to understand in this way that there are um, different roles we play in this planet, right? There are different paths we can take. And I guess if you take it by the majority, the default path would be you grow up, you get married, you find a job, you get some family, children, hopefully, hopefully you live very happily and you die very happily. So this would be the standard, I think, for the majority of the planet. But then there are some side quests, you know, some uh, interesting other things you can do. And one of the, I think, most fascinating games that we have available uh, for all of us is this, what we would call a spiritual path. So a path that would somehow expand your capacity of perception and awareness beyond the normal limits that are imposed to us. No? And this, inside of this, you have so many choices. I mean, you can follow a religion, you can follow a, a, a martial art. The, the best martial arts, they are spiritual paths and they develop you beyond human condition. You know, So there are many of them. And the, the story that you're referring to is that Tantra is actually a kind of spiritual path that is usually uh, more in the background, let's say people don't speak so openly about it, because it's a spiritual path that approaches the areas that usually are cut off, uh, cut off from spirituality. So if you go to a monastery, and it doesn't matter so much if it's a Christian monastery, Buddhist monastery, if you go to a monastery, meaning your, your message to the universe is, I really want to find spirituality and God and everything, one of the first rules is sex is off the, <laughs> off the chart. That is over for you, my friend. It was nice out there. Now that's over. And so Tantra, not saying that and actually saying through that you can actually achieve the same goals as a monk in a monastery achieves or a great yogi in the Himalayan cave, it's not so popular, you know. Imagine if you are part of that community and here in the West is small communities, but in Asia, in the Orient, it's huge communities of yogis, of uh, monks, of meditators, you know. And if you, all your life, you castrated that immense desire for sexuality and communion and sociability, it's not so easy to listen to some guys say, actually, we do it a lot and we, we achieve the same goal. So even inside the group of people who are awakening and want to follow something higher, they are not, uh, it's not so easy to approach the topic as you can imagine. No, yeah, yeah. But this is the story that um, somehow Tantra stays a bit in the background until it, there is a, a certain necessity. Like nowadays, I think there is a necessity due to so many misunderstandings uh, around what love truly is, what a relationship should offer you, what sexuality really entails and can provide for a relationship. So 
now tantra is becoming pop you know, it became a kind of pop culture thing but uh, it uh, it does surface let's say to the common knowledge every now and then when there is a huge need so this was uh, the story you're referring to i think yeah yeah absolutely but um i found it interesting when you started because you started explaining right you know some people are on this spiritual path right which is yeah. a very broad topic i'd say and you approached explaining tantra by a let's say a subgroup of people within that spiritual path that um, are open to tantra um, that i found very interesting so obviously one part of my question is what 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 is part of that spiritual aspect of tantra because you know when i originally started asking you is right i immediately need to think about sex and this is i think what is in the well it's, i think we really need to clarify and talk about it because in the western world this is yeah. what the word is associated with but you yeah. now open the door towards um hang on it is actually within that spiritual path it is describes a group of people that are open to sex and sexual energy but obviously that also says there's a lot more to this topic which is not just working with sexual energies so so how would you describe the other part which is probably lesser known in the western world yeah actually i, I think it's useful to make a, a frame for the whole thing so just so you get the idea I studied extensively in a very long course for more than eight years, a course on Tantra tradition, the whole Tantra tradition. And that course includes, I don't know, I, I don't want to make a mistake because probably my teachers might listen to this, but it's, I can tell you, for sure not more than 10%, 15% of the course is about that part, like a and not specifically sexuality so i remember there was a brilliant chapter about couple relationships that was going from anywhere for instance communication uh, what is the correct way of approaching different situations in a couple relationship and then there was a part about sexuality of course there was also a big chapter about sexuality itself but all in all in the eight years let's say that i was in the the course is actually longer i, I stopped in that moment uh, I would say it's a small part, and if you take the whole tantric tradition, my teacher used to say, and I hope I'm not quoting him wrongly now, that it was around in the whole tantric tradition, the part dealing with sexuality was around 5-10%. Yeah. But still, in the time we are now, and having a world where so many people are thirsty for more than the normal game, right, the one we spoke about, but being thirsty for it but not being detached from the pleasures of that game right the whole part especially especially of sexuality but not only for instance uh, some vices and you know getting a bit of fun with the friends in the weekend and drugs and alcohol so not being detached from that like a monk would be like a monk is not making a huge sacrifice by not having sex he doesn't have that impetus anymore. You know, that's why he became a monk most of the times. Of course, some of them don't, but it's what naturally brings you to monkhood. So not being detached from this, but still having this pull towards something something higher, Tantra becomes exceptionally appealing. And, and when you have a huge system that, of course, talks about God, transcendence, um, states of consciousness, altered state of consciousness, and all these things, 
but what you are really interested in is how I can be spiritual and still have some sex, that's what you talk about. So that's why for most uh, of the West, um, when you talk about Tantra, that is the main part because that is generically the main interest of the Western mind uh, in spirituality. How can I somehow sacralize this aspect, uh, even if they don't think about it that way, but it's the subconscious motivation, you know, like, okay, if it is allowed, then there must be something here. And that's actually, it's brilliant because the great, great schools of Tantra and the, this great tradition, and not only Tantra, for instance, probably you know about Taoism, which is also a tradition that approaches sexuality and does it was also a little bit hidden on the time and is also now booming everywhere, uh, a lot of information. So, and also what do people think about when they think, when they, sorry, when they think about Taoism, they think very much about sex also and about the sexual Taoist practices. So all this to say what? To say that um, uh, it is very wise that now these hidden schools of spirituality are actually coming out with a solution for the people who really are searching for something and actually they are teaching them how through their main interest, okay, it's sex you want, let's do it, my friend, but let's do it correctly. And this is where I would like to conclude my thought, to make a clear distinction from the beginning, because, of course, where there is... Uh, a lot of, uh, how to say, interest, there is a lot of offer, and not all the offers are, uh, how to say, the same quality. You don't get the same juice everywhere. So most of the places that teach Tantra that don't teach you any kind of sacrifice, any kind of limitation, any kind of austerity, any kind of discipline, that is not what the real tantric, tantric tradition is teaching you. So this idea that Tantra is just about being free. Do whatever you want. Have all the sex you want. I never saw this in any of the good places I, I got to know over my life of research on Tantra. So usually this is where you can make the clear distinction. A Tantric, uh, my teacher used to say, is the supreme ascetic, is the supreme monk, because he has to be totally controlled in the middle of all the temptations. He doesn't have a cave. He doesn't have a monastery to protect him. He's there in the middle of all the temptations and he's perfectly controlled. And that's what Tantra is a little bit more about than just sex and freedom in the superficial way. Yes, tell me. You have an inquisitive face now. <laughs> yes. Um, because initially I wanted to ask you right now, and now we talked about the obvious topic which is dominant in the Western world. Um, and let's talk about all of the other areas. But the way you just described it, for me, I'd really like to go deeper in it because the, the explanation of, right, you can either make sacrifice, build a monastery around you and not have access to a certain topic, or you can embrace that topic, but still within that world of temptation, you're calm and centered. So how, how is the approach to that in, in Tantra? Because, mind you, I have no idea about Tantra at all, so that's why I'm asking. Yeah, so, so this is where Tantra comes together with some things for sure you heard about. Uh, for instance, a Tantric is a very good yogi. He practices yoga extremely well because um, when you, for instance, practice Tantra and you engage in the erotic part of Tantra, that erotic part is kind of a fuel for something higher. So it's not the goal, you know, you don't, you don't practice Tantra to have sex. 
you practice some erotic techniques within Tantra to reach the goal of Tantra, which is to reveal yourself or to discover the truth or God, whatever you call it in different traditions. So, so what you're talking about is actually working with your energies, right? Exactly. So, so like life force or well, in exactly. the end now specifically sexual energies. So it's really a, 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 a method of controlling and yeah, directing your energies wisely in all fields of types of energies that you have. Is, is that correct? You are, you are very good at this, Nils, because you, you said correctly, uh, directing, you know, so not repressing, but directing. And that's also a big difference. Many people repress, even in monasteries, as we said, they repress those desires, they repress those temptations, they repress those energies. And that actually many times creates more damage than helps, you know. So uh, here, yes, as you said, we learn to direct consciously and wisely, I love how you put it, consciously and wisely, these energies towards a higher goal, towards some ch something better. All right, so, so do you also teach and learn how to transform energies in something different because I, I you know I'm, I'm in the western world a lot of sexual tem temptations and obviously there's um let's say if you have if you experience higher sexual energies is is there a way to transform that into a let's call it because it's very close to creative energy it, mm -hmm. Is that what you learn and teach as well? How, how to transform that type of energy in something different to stay focused on a different topic? Yeah, absolutely. So it's exactly like that. First, uh, I think at least the, the system I went deeper in this uh, Tantra teaching, it was absolutely brilliant for my kind of structure, which is a kind of engineering mindset. First, I was... Taught. Very good. We've got the same basis there. <laughs> I thought, first of all, how this part that I already know, I already see the physical body, I already can experience it. I was taught how this one works and how this one flows biologically, uh, emotionally. I learned about psychology. The whole course begins with a brilliant phase of discovery of what this is. And then how to use this in a way that will take you to the next level, meaning starting to realize that this is only a visible part of a much bigger structure. And so then you start to realize, oh, wait a second, my body emits warmth. And this warmth is a kind of vibration and there is kind of a aliveness to it. And I can actually move it inside. And it's it's a whole, for me, it was like I, I was like a child in a candy store, you know, wow, what's this? So you start to discover things experimentally. And this is also why I think Tantra might be another reason why it's so famous is that in other traditional spiritual paths is very much theoretical. You listen, you get told what you should do, what you should not do, and you are, you are slapped if you do the wrong thing. And it, it stays a little bit in your mind and you are a bit afraid to do wrong and you are happy if you did right, but you don't feel immediately the big transformation. While in Tantra, you feel it happening within you. You can experiment with it like a scientist, which was why I was attracted to it, because I, I consider myself a kind of scientist. So I had to experiment it. And thus, one of the most fascinating parts of the whole tantric system is this what is called the tantric alchemy. Alchemy, which is exactly to transmute, to change physically even, a kind of energy into another kind of energy. For instance, I can move my sexual energy to a state of absolute self-confidence and willpower if I have to go face a challenge or have a, a big discussion or something. 
I can move that into absolute love and delight if I'm going to meet my girlfriend. Or I can move it into absolute focus if I have to study something and I have a little time just to, you know, so that transformation of the energies is, I think, the biggest gift the tantric system gives us because it teaches you in such a minute, detailed way exactly what to do and how, where to get it and from where to move it to where. And it's so fascinating that you, you, you told me in the beginning that you didn't know anything about it, but you're quite, you, you seem quite knowledgeable because you use the correct terms. You say the correct things, Niels. <laughs> I'm quite happy with this conversation. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm generally interested in energies and let's let's call it the spiritual path, right? But yeah. Tantra specifically, I, I didn't really know anything about it apart from the obvious thing. For me, I, I as a brief statement, you've sold it to me already, right? <laughs> Very interesting. Um, but ca can we move into the, the other areas? Because if we say, right, sexual energy is obviously that that one huge topic that makes it interesting in the western world and so on um, and that makes it a bit of a special approach in spirituality um, but then i assume all of the other topics what what falls into that entire framework of what tantra is if, if we now talked about 10 percent, what are the other 90 percent okay i'll talk about one topic that for me is kind of the underlying factor of all the others and i think it's as fascinating as the sexual part because if you catch that topic correctly and it's actually a transversal i don't know if this is a correct word in English, to the entire system which is the laws and principles that rule manifestation so for instance you know that if i drop an object from my hand most likely it will go down. It will be very strange if it floats or if it goes up because we know that even if I am uh, 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 Islamic or if I am Christian or if I am Buddhist, if I drop an object from my hand, it will go down because there are certain laws in this universe that don't care for your preferences or religions. They are absolute universal laws like gravity. And if you learn them, if you understand them, you can actually use those laws to apparently violate them. I mean, we can put an airplane on the air and it's not that we are breaking gravity, we are using gravity and aerodynamics and other things. So a great part of the tantric system is what are the laws? What are the principles? And as you can imagine in a society that just wants freedom, this is the least popular topic because people want just, oh, I'm free to do whatever I want. But if you don't understand that this is going to fall down, you are going to bang your head against the ground a few times, not understanding how it works. And guess what? As we learn in physics and mathematics, the laws, and we can calculate precisely how to achieve a certain movement of an object, there are certain laws that regulate an interaction. For instance, a friendship interaction, a love interaction, even a teacher-student interaction. There are laws that dictate exactly how energies manifest between two bodies. And if you understand these laws, you, are, you can fly like an airplane, understand? So a relationship, for instance, of a, a conscious couple, it's a relationship that brings you to God, brings you to heaven. And this is, is again, is not so, how to say, rare, even from, I, I was fascinated when I discovered there is a book from the 1800 something uh, by a woman, written by a woman. So this is supposedly a time when women were not having so many privileges, but she wrote a book and she explains how she making love with her husband in a certain specific way, which was quite tantric, but she didn't know that topic. They just tried it, you know, 
she started to discover in her language at the time, of course, very Christian. She started to discover that she could co enter into communion with God and the husband would enter into communion with God and they wouldn't have this uh, intense uh, sexual uh, exhausted, exhaust after, being exhausted after. They would just keep going and the, the lovemaking would just grow more and more, which is extremely tantric way to put it. And this is from the 1800s from an uneducated woman in spirituality, meaning in tantra or this. So it's something that it was kind of, it is kind of natural. We just unlearned it to give um, more priority to some impulses, to some very intense desires we have for a little fulfillment, because sex is a little fulfillment for most people. It's not like you stay three months happy after you make love once. It's like a little fulfillment and then you need more after a while. While in, um, in the other way, you actually, be, it can be fulfilled for a long time, but not to go back to the sexual area, just to tell you that there are these laws and the great, great part of the study of Tantra is number one, learning what are the laws and number two, using them consciously. So you learn and you practice and you actually become proficient in using hidden laws, like gravity is one of them, but are, some are much more interesting than gravity, to operate things that are not uh, concretely visible. For instance, how do you operate a transcendent from a normal level of awareness to a dream level of awareness? You, when you're in a dream, very rarely, unless you practice and you are quite gifted, you know that you're dreaming. You are in the dream, that's the reality. When you wake up, now that's the reality. But there is a way that you can transition that border without losing awareness. Being awake and then entering the dream, still being awake, still conscious that you are in the dream. And this is governed by some, some laws. And for instance, one part of Tantra, even very famous in the Buddhist tradition, because a, a part of Buddhism is Tantric. I don't know if you know, there is a whole part of Buddhism, which is uh, tantric Buddhism, as they call it. So one of the parts they study is what they call dream yoga. They practice dream yoga and they learn through the, this conscious uh, merges into different states of consciousness, like dream is a state of consciousness, how to become more aware. Sorry, I spoke too much. Please. No, no, absolutely fine. Um, I immediately need to think about lucid dreaming. Yeah, of course. It, it, can I draw that analogy that what you just described is a way of an approach to lucid dreaming in the in the end well it's, it's more than lucid dreaming in a way that uh, how to say you know how we refine food like uh, you get refined sugar you get rice that is only white without the, the brown part so you actually lose a bit of something when you do that because there is a whole thing that actually if you eat as fiber and makes it more healthy for your gut so the whole thing is always healthier than when you refine it and if you see most of the spiritual practices that are very famous nowadays, they are the refined, refined not in the sense that it's better, just they are the extraction of something much more complete. For instance, lucid dreaming is an extraction of a much more complete system of study of consciousness and how consciousness works. Holotropic breathing is a much, uh, there's a much bigger concept in uh, Tantra and yoga called pranayama, which goes much further and holotropic breathing just explores a little bit of it and gives you a state. And you are so happy that, wow, but there's much more than that. So many of the things people are doing nowadays actually are the same as Tantra became sex. Those great, huge systems became holotropic breathing, mindfulness, what a name for something that is supposed to empty your mind, not put it full. So all these normal, um, not normal, these uh, modern terms and practices 
could be extremely much more rich if people will just reconnect them to the source and use the whole system, not only a little part. Oh, that is a very nice explanation of all of the topics, what is actually going on right now, because we have so many things, as you just named. Um, what, what I wanted to ask is because we, we just talked a bit about lucid dreaming, yeah. and I'm a bit experienced in shamanic practices. Right? Yeah. In, in, in that field, we, we certainly talk about many different abilities or capabilities that you have in terms of seeing with your third eye, doing remote viewing, doing oracles, doing travel through time with your vision, um, doing, doing sort of healing work, and you know, to name the big topics. Um, is, can I say those sort of abilities, are they placed in Tantra as well? Yeah, absolutely. And not, I don't want to make this a, a fanatic uh, uh, approach just to Tantra. They are part of almost all the genuine spiritual paths, the, the great ancient traditions of uh, our planet. <clears throat> but yeah, you, to me, you ask about Tantra, so I speak about Tantra. Just to make clear that it's not exclusive that Tantra approaches this. Other spiritual paths also do. But yeah, so for instance, the shamanic allure and attraction that we have is, is so uh, important, I think. I think is a, a very natural desire that all the souls have to go beyond the limitation of the physical body. And if you do a shamanic ritual, be it by the rhythm of the drum or by a, a sacred plant that you take or any other practice, uh, shamanic practice you take, you get a moment of jumping out of the bodily awareness into a kind of dream state. It's not really a dream state, but it's a kind of a world that has a bit different laws and different rules and different principles. So there things operate a little bit different. And uh, there, there's a certain freedom, if you have a good trip, not a bad trip. So there's a certain freedom that uh, all our souls are longing for, you know, it's something very deep inside us that, oh my God, I just, that kind of fulfills me. And some people even go as far as to think it's an enlightening moment. I saw the whole universe and I was one with the universe. And my, and my teacher always made a little bit of fun of this, not in a detrimental way, just making fun, saying, oh, you are the whole universe? Try to move the moon a little bit. Show me how powerful you are. So it's, it's greatly an illusion. What you are feeling there is not the real thing. And you can find it by putting a very simple question. If you are enlightened in that moment and you are the universe, why did you come back? Why do you come down from that state? Why do you need to take another plant or go again with the drum? Because an enlightened teacher doesn't do that. The great masters of humanity, they are always there. You have the famous case of the master of uh, Ramdas. I don't know if you know about Ramdas. Basically, Ramdas was a seeker, a very, he was a Harvard teacher, but a very ardent seeker. And he discovered that at that time was legal, all these psychedelics. And he just was frustrated that he was always coming back down. He would take it, go up and come down. And then he met his, his spiritual teacher, a very beautiful teacher in India. And as he describes it, I met a man who never came down. So of course, I gave him a big doses of, I think it was LSD at the time. I gave him a big doses and after a few hours and he didn't change, nothing changed. And I asked him, master, but uh, do you feel the difference? And uh, he said, no, I'm waiting for your medicine to make effect. What is supposed to happen? <laughs> like it was, it was like nothing happened. And he said very clearly that he gave him a very high dose uh, of this uh, LSD, I think it was. So that's the difference. In Tantra, for instance, you 
enter those states without resorting to external uh, substances and consciously and you make it as a practice so you reach that state and then of course you also come down just like if you took something but it's in a very conscious way and you know the laws and you know the, you know the principles and you understand what's happening to you there's no bad trips there you understand it's always conscious so after a while what happens is that you kind of settle in a new level of consciousness and now that's your new ground you never come down from that place and gradually gradually you reach to these higher levels of awareness in a natural no side effects and no problem way it's very beautiful right now you just mentioned practices and yeah. achieving greater awareness in higher states of consciousness so what the hell are those practices <laughs> well that's another part of the 90% that i love and stop me if i speak too much because i think this is the most revolutionary area so practices are from the simplest thing uh, for instance controlling your physical body my teacher gave me the simplest practices all the time one time he told me go home sit in a sofa and don't move a muscle for two hours and i was like what <laughs> i said yeah just control your body make it very comfortable you don't need to be with the spine straight you don't need to be in a yogic position just sit comfortably don't sleep but sit and don't move one muscle for two hours and i found out very fast that i'm not so much in control of my body that something else is moving me inside and it gets very agitated if i don't do what it says so It started with simple practices like this, and then, of course, start, uh, continued with yogic practices. Yoga is the basis of everything in Tantra. You practice yoga as the root of all the other techniques. For instance, you don't practice love-making techniques before you know how to do some yogic things. You need to have some qualities. It's not just to grow, you know? Yeah, can, can we dive into yoga a bit? Because, um, obviously, here in the Western world, we have so many types of yoga. Right, yeah. from hot yoga to whatever type of yoga. And then, then you, you, you know, on YouTube, you see some, I don't know, I don't want to call them gurus, but um, let's say some, some famous people in that field of yoga and some say, right, some yogi only perfect one or two positions in yoga and that is their approach to yoga. Whereas here we have more of this, I would call it a, a sporting approach to yoga is more mm -hmm. a, an athletic approach to yoga but it yeah. seems to be a bit detached from what it used to be so when you talk about yoga is it a specific practice is it a specific approach or how do you from a tantric perspective how do you describe yoga uh, yoga is a, <clears throat> a very well-known practice and i think most of the The people who are teaching even in youtube as you said i think most of them have at least a basic basic knowledge of the the whole system i mean it's a very well known nowadays system just that inside that system you can choose something to do like hatha yoga where it's mostly focused on uh, asanas and body postures but i think they know there is more i mean it's, it's very well known I, i i don't think a yoga teacher would think yoga is just asanas so I'm, I can make a very brief synthesis for you. Yoga is a science, a very precise science of moving your consciousness from the lowest, most animal, impulse-driven, total survival mode consciousness to godly consciousness or enlightened consciousness. Yeah? And it has classically a few steps for this, <clears throat> where the first and second one would be moral and ethic principles. You remember I said laws and principles. So 
things that are good for you to do if you want to reach to the top of the mountain and things that are not so useful. It's not so much in this judgmental way, like, oh, you did something that is against the principle, bad boy. It's not like just that it's not useful. You can actually do it if you are very conscious to see that it is not useful and then naturally you will not do it because you see it's not good for you. So it's not so much as it is here in our culture, uh, judgment and you are bad. It's more, look, if you do like this, very scientific, if you do like this, you move up. If you do like this, you move down. So the first two steps is just what is useful and what is not useful, yeah, like principles. Uh, and there are simple things like you should not be violent, you should not lie, you know, you should live in the truth. Very simple principles that all of us know, just they are the basis. After that comes asana, asana, the postures that have mainly the function of making your body very healthy and very ready for the high levels of meditation because it's not easy to have a high level of meditation. So asana is the third step in yoga. After that, you enter pranayama. Pranayama is when you learn, this topic that I understood is one of your favorites, energy. So you move with your consciousness to this world of energies and you start to realize this is a true thing. And you can experiment and have a, a very concrete ex scientific experiment that it works. So you know that energies are real. For instance, this is the level where you would learn healing, where you would learn <clears throat> how to produce different states of awareness by changing the way you breathe, that like in holotopic breathings. But all this is a huge teaching inside this topic called the pranayama. After you master somehow this level, then the next level in yoga in the yoga system is called pratyahara, meaning you learn to internalize your awareness. Most of the times we are externalized, so we are watching outside, feeling outside, listening outside, but there's a way to listen inside, to see inside. You already spoke a bit about remote viewing. This is internal viewing, let's say. So there's, there's a way to move your senses inwards, and that's what you practice when you reach the state of pratyahara. And this is called the preparatory stages in yoga. In the whole system, this is what we call preparation. After this is when you start the real, let's say, hard path, which is when you learn concentration. As I said that my body is difficult to keep still in a sofa, my mind is much more difficult to keep still in my head. So <laughs> to stay calm inside my head is not so easy, you know? So that is a huge, huge practice to learn to be concentrated, to focus your attention at will for as long as you want, where you want. Yes, please. And, and that is aligned with meditation, right? Because focus oh, yeah. is, because for me, it's kind of the, kind of opposite, right? Keeping your mind still and meditate is for me bloody difficult. Or being extremely focused on one thing and not picking up on thousands of things. Um, it, it, does that fall in, is that on the same level or? No, so, so the this first stage of uh, concentration is called uh, dharana, is kind of the preparatory stage for meditation. The same way that Pratyahara, the internalization, is the preparatory stage for concentration. You cannot concentrate if you're all the time distracted by everything outside. So all these steps, that's why I say it's genius, and I told you to stop me when you want, because I am fascinated how incredibly genius this system was built to take anybody. I mean, I was the most average guy in the world. I was super skeptic, didn't believe in anything. And just by following step by step, exactly like the tradition says, I discovered by my own experience the reality of this. So, but let me just conclude the whole steps. The dharana is the concentration. After you become quite good in concentration, you actually start to discover that there is a two-way flow. It's not only that you are concentrating on something, imagine a mantra 
or an image or whatever, or God, whatever it is you want to concentrate upon. When you do that, something is concentrating on you also, you know, and there starts to be a double way flow, let's say. It's kind of a, you start to get insights about whatever it is you're meditating upon. You get information that you didn't have before. And that is what we call dhyana, meditation. So this is what meditation actually is. Meditation is not meant to relax you, make you feel peaceful, uh, make you be quiet inside. Meditation is a way of get knowledge, to get wisdom, knowledge and wisdom. You know, you get direct access to a field, super mental field of understanding. And after meditation, <clears throat> after this dhyana, if you become very good at it and you can keep it for a period of time without interruptions, without fruit of all the training you had before, then you can have what is called samadhi or the state of enlightenment or the communion with God in the Christian tradition. So the final stage. So this is what yoga is. And I think most yoga teachers know the whole system. They just assume that the top layers are for some people in Tibet, you know, for some guys in the Himalayas. For us, it's the Hatha Yoga and the breathing already a little bit now, the holotropic. The whole system is absolutely delightful, Nils, and I think anybody who goes into it falls in love. Uh, I mean, it's so immediate to have results. It's not like you have to wait three years to see something happening. You practice a little bit those techniques, following the basic principles, and something changes radically. It's very interesting what, what, how, how you described meditation, because for me, I, I, I was for a long time fascinated by medita by meditation. Basically, you know, in, in the Western world, Joe Dispenza, how, how he describes it with neuroscience, what you can achieve and all of these things. And then I was interested in remote viewing and obviously the stages to go into remote viewing is, is a meditative state, just a very deep one um, to, to make it simple. Um, but you what now- do you, What do you achieve by remote viewing? You get some insights and some wisdom about something you didn't know before, right? You go to see something. Yes, yeah, yeah. But now, because for, for me, that was never explained in that way. For me, meditation was always, let's say, similar to mindfulness and just, you know, calm, no thoughts, nothing. And now you just described it as, no, hang on, it is, right, I don't know which words I use correctly here, but it's a connection to non-physicality. It's a connection to a I don't want to say universal consciousness, but to a broader consciousness, to right, to 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 an, a field of information. Or there's so many words floating around when we talk about this um, topic. But that that is very interesting because that works much better with me um, to to approach meditation. So so thank you for that explanation. What other topics are there within tantra? <laughs> Well, uh, you'd be surprised, Nils, to know that, uh, for instance, I learned from the most basic things on how to eat. Uh, I remember the yoga classes. So inside the Tantra, there are also yoga classes. A big part of uh, the first year, in the end of the first year, was recipes of healthy food, how to eat in a way that will open your consciousness and your heart and everything. All right. So that, Perfect. Because <laughs> that is another huge topic. Because, you know, <laughs> that there's so many approaches to eat healthy right obviously we, we we sort of have the craze about uh vegan vegetarian and all of that very simplistic approaches but then you have the ayurvedic approach of of eating right which takes into account what type of 
body and human you are what, what you know what are the three what is the composition of your three um aspects let's put it that way right and then according to that you you have your different um things that probably works best for you and we we have a lot of knowledge in the tcm world and the traditional Chinese medicine that there's a lot of uh, similar to India well, Ayurvedic approaches but different um, then then we have something in the Western world a bit more modern which is um, natural hygiene with food combination tables and is a bit backed up by science as well you know that that you don't eat certain proteins and starch together and so on so it's a very scientific approach which I really like in combination with um, uh, other things then obviously we have now very new things like um medical mediums that um yeah you know like um anthony william for example very yeah, famous yeah. in the western world he he has also a certain uh, his unique approach to eating healthy so but now we talk about a tantric approach to eating healthy um, can, can you make a distinction to what i've named so far or how would you describe a tantric approach to eating healthy uh, it's very similar to what you described with the ayurveda because <clears throat> yoga and ayurveda are kind of sister uh, paths you know you can you can really empower yourself by knowing ayurveda and it's i mean it's again it's a scientific very lucid and very conscious system you and i are two different people and if we both have the same disease like a cold you might have your nose running and i might have my nose totally blocked so we don't have the same reaction to the same disease. Why would you take the same medicine? And, and this is brilliant by Ayurveda that they divide your, they know who you are and then they take care of you as a person, the whole you, not only the disease that you have now. And the Tantra is very much uh, following the same principles as Ayurveda. Ayurveda is a totally amazing science, I'd say the science of life, it's called Ayurveda. And so uh, we follow the same. I mean, what is your goal? Uh, it depends very much on who you are. If you as a tantric, and I hope it's not a big revelation, some tantrics are even celibates. You don't have to make love to be a tantric. If you are a celibate living in a cave, still using tantric principles and practicing yoga, you don't need the same food as a man who makes love 10 hours per day, three days per week. So depends on what you want to do with this physical body, the amount and type and kind of food you have to eat. <clears throat> also depends where you live, depends on so many conditions. So tantra is just opening the wisdom if you are, uh, for instance, for us, a Western person and you want to have a certain level of purity in your body and at the same time have a certain high, because the tantric has a very high level of energy. It's very, very, it's difficult to express if you never had those levels of energy. But to be a tantric, you have to have a very high level of energy because most of the practices, even yogic practices and specifically the erotic practices, the love making, require an, an enormous level of energy from you. Uh, you probably know the fame of making love for hours is real. So it is a practice that takes hours. You never make love 10 minutes. This doesn't exist. So it's not easy, even physically, just not, I'm not speaking about erection, to keep your body physically ready to be a few hours making love is not, you cannot do it with rice. You know, you have to have a bit more substance. So the <clears throat> the food is generically recommended to be vegetarian this part is not broken but it's very recommended for instance eggs and uh, different types of things that are from animal sources not a vegan um, diet normally recommended if you are in the world again not if you are 
if you're isolated, you can go full, uh, how do you say, light uh, food, you, you eat the sun. <laughs> but if you are in the world, you will need some nourishment. And so I, I cannot give you a definite answer. It's just very wisely adapted to each individual and what they choose for their life. Okay. So would I go a step too far by saying that the Ayurvedic approach is sort of a tiny aspect of the whole Tantra system? Or is it just similar? Uh, I, I wouldn't be qualified to, to make that comparison. I, I know both systems and I know they totally interwine in some principles and they totally work together, but I cannot say one is part of the other. I, I don't know, honestly, Nils. You'll have to ask somebody more qualified than me. <laughs> well, what would be interesting to understand is you said you studied it for eight years already. Uh, one specific course. So I, I've been studying it for around, uh, I think, 16 years. But I spoke about one specific course that I, it took me eight years. And that one was, I think, by far the best until now. But yeah. So do you seek teachers somewhere around this world? Or is it present here in, in the Western world as well? That, uh, that you've been on that path for 16 years in that specific area? You know what? Uh, I think that you always get the teacher you need at each moment. And I, there's all this... Um, Oh, fake teacher, or how do you say? I mean, if, if you are with a fake teacher, guess what? You're a fake student. You're not really interested to grow because real students have very good teachers. And I, I had experience with all kinds of teachers. And my heart and my soul naturally pull me, let's say, to teachers who vibrate with me. So uh, I have had the privilege of meeting very beautiful teachers to whom I'm infinitely grateful, but I'm not, I mean, I'm not actively searching teachers. I think people listening to your podcast, if they are interested, they should, you know, search, put in their heart this intention. Okay, I want to learn because trust me, it's not, I don't, I wouldn't say impossible, but you don't learn Tantra from a book. You need somebody who is kind of doing it. And, uh, and there are so many, so you already have some principles to guide your search. Uh, if it's no sacrifices, no discipline, no nothing, you can go there, but uh, be aware you're just going to have fun. It's not going to teach you Tantra. It's going to be maybe pleasant. Maybe you have a little catharsis. You cry a little bit because you are hugging and nobody hugged you for 10 years. You, you have some experiences. But uh, when you find a real teaching, it will challenge you. You will not like your teacher all the time. Your teacher, if he's a good teacher, he's going to be a really, how to say, not pleasant to your ego. Your ego is not going to like him. And if you are a good student, that's where you stay. Understand? If you're a bad student, you come out of there saying, "How oh, wow, sect, it's a cult, it, those people are crazy, they are weird. Yeah, you are weird also. So it, I, I would just recommend that you put a strong intention in your heart and you search a little bit because the same way you are searching, God is searching for you and he knows who you need at each moment. Yeah, coincidentally, I really like this approach because that is what I experienced more in higher frequency over the recent sort of yeah time period is that there are things that resonate with you and you, you get in touch with people and for some strange reason or not really strange but there are the right people on your path and they they will connect with you so it's interesting because you know in in, in other areas you, you have either 
famous schools that you go to or you know those foundations that are very good or yeah certain institutes around the world that you go to but now you say no hang on use your use your internal intention use your vibration and then you connect to the right people and you find your teacher for tantra is it, it, it's uh, look Niels, very honestly of course i know very good schools and very good things but i know that if i recommend that for some people it will be wow i found it some people will be wow Niels, you are supporting this guy do you know what he's what he recommended he recommend this ugly place and I, I i have no interest in uh creating more agitation in people's minds but i do have an interest that people find the real thing because it's priceless it's i mean i it's incomparable to anything else and i think this is the best advice you can give to people and to the people who listen to you really put a strong intention really want it from your heart and search because there's no way you will not find if you are honest if you are a true aspirant you don't need uh, marketing you know the best teachers i have they have almost zero marketing they are just amazing by themselves and that is enough they attract naturally the people to them i think that is the best word to end this entire thing on because <laughs> <laughs> that yeah just on, on a personal note because you know in, in the recent months i i've seen a few mediums that channeled information for me and i've been to some world famous mediums that are a bit more expensive and i got to know other mediums that don't have a website they're only sort of you know by word of mouth and the those are the ones that had the best information and yeah it's, so it's very interesting what you said because it resonates so with, so much with me this approach so true it's a bit frustrating because you know you're you're always searching for right where, where is that course where's that website i can go to 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 have the best information in the world and, and I tell you something, Mills. If I give you a website and you go and search it, you'll find it interesting in some areas. You'll find it other areas don't resonate with you. You'll judge a little bit. But if you find it by yourself, you will you know, be, wow, this is the place. At least from my experience of already inspiring some people around, whenever I try to spoon feed people, they, there's a part of them that rejects, you know, that opposes. If I don't spoon feel, and I know the laws of the universe, I know and I trust in God, so I'm sure whoever is searching, they will have no problem finding. Trust, they will find it.